0: The Latter day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 87 of the Latter day Lives podcast. I'm Sean Rapier, I am the host of the show. And what a fantastic show we have for you this week. But before we get into it, I do want to thank two of our listeners who took the time to leave reviews on iTunes, uh, Rebel K73 and 3 Emily Ruth. Thank you so much for your beautiful reviews. We're now up to 111 five-star reviews. It makes it so much easier for other people to find us, and we appreciate the reviews on Facebook, on Google, on uh, whatever format you listen to this show. It just means the world to us. So thank you so much. Uh, This week on the show, my guest is Tracy Smith. Tracy is a dear longtime friend of mine. He is also uh, one of the amazing men behind the Latter-day Soldiers blog and It is an amazing conversation. Tracy has always been one of the people I have admired most in my life and am grateful to count him as a friend. This week in my latter day life, I'll tell you about some things that are truly, truly important. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today in the Latter-day Live studio, my guest is not only a genius at advertising and marketing, but he is also one of the masterminds behind the blog, as well as the Facebook profile and everything else in this day and age, Latter-day Soldiers. My guest is Tracy Smith. Tracy, welcome.
1: Very grateful to be here. I, uh, I love what you've done with Latter-day Lives. I think the mission of this is fantastic. I'm thrilled for your success. And so I am humbled and excited to be part of this today.
0: Well, I'm grateful. I I have one main question for you when it comes to the podcast. What do you think of our logo? Are you a fan of our logo?
1: I can clearly see that you went as low rent as possible in the sourcing
0: of that logo. (laughs) So Tracy Smith designed the Latter-day Lives logo, so it has served us very well for uh, 80-plus episodes now, and it continues to serve us, so thank you. Uh, So it's not, not a secret, then, to point out, Tracy and I have been friends for many years And uh, have worked together, and Tracy is one of my favorite people, I'll already put it out there. It's the opposite of last week. Last week I didn't know our guest at all, this week Tracy is a dear friend. So Tracy, before we get into Latter-day Soldiers and marketing and all these things I want to ask you about, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: A little bit about myself is always a challenge, because, uh, let's see, I'm I'm hoping we have a four hour podcast coming up here. four
0: hours at least.
1: <laughs> uh a little bit about myself. I am husband to a fantastic wife. I have three kids. I come from a family of five kids altogether um grew up large part of my life in southeastern Idaho, but I also grew up in the midwest uh raised in a uh a wonderful devoted latter day saint family um, went to b y u served a mission Ventura California mission. Yeah. Had a had kind of your average Latter-day Saint upbringing. What I people
0: think. would what what people would think of the average experience. Yeah,
1: as you would picture the cookie cutter experience, yeah. I'm probably fairly cookie cutter in a lot of ways.
0: What's the mix in your family of brothers and sisters?
1: Uh four boys, one girl. Yeah. My uh sister was the oldest and fortunately for her that's where she was. She was born first, which made her generally bigger than the rest of us and she <laughs> much to her uh much to her safety, she was also born with very long and sharp fingernails. So
0: <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, that's great. What were you into uh, when you were in high school?
1: High school, I was being—I was totally into being alone. That was uh, high school. Was a painful time. A lot of people look back in high school with nostalgia. I look back and cringe at every single moment I can think of it. I was—I uh, was not great socially, and always wished I would be. I uh, I was bullied to some extent. I was a, I was a small kid. I didn't grow. You know, I'm six two now, but back then I was just a tiny little drink of water, and that did not help my.
0: When did your growth much. spurt happen? Then
1: it happened right between my junior and senior year, and then I grew quite a bit on my mission as well.
0: Yeah, because you're a big guy. Like, yeah. I mean, you're physically you're very strong. Like, you're in great shape. I I just always assumed. Because you've told me before this about high school, about how it was an awkward time and it was a difficult time, which is amazing uh, because of how I know you. You're quite popular and very confident. So there's been a transition at some point. I just assumed that you were kind of always like that.
1: No. See, in high school, I hadn't learned how to fake it yet. And now I'm extremely good at that.
0: (laughs) So you struggled. Were you, were you, now you're quite an athlete now. Were you athletic in high school?
1: I wasn't really. I tried. It's funny, when I was a younger kid, elementary school, I was really quite fast. I was generally the fastest kid in my class. I could run really fast, and I could run for a long time. Most of my years growing up in school, I ran to school. Like Mm. I've always liked being active, and... But in high school, like I said, in junior high, all the other kids started growing and taking off, and I just did not grow very well. I That's was just amazing. a little guy. And so in athletics, there, there are those smaller um, athletes that overcome. I didn't have the muscle strength. I didn't have mm. the development. And I didn't have the coordination in those developing years to overcome it. it. So fortunately, I grew into myself. My body caught up, and I came back to becoming a, a decent athlete. I'm not world-class in any way, but... I can hold my own on most fields.
0: Yeah. You're definitely an athlete. There's no question. I mean, you're a workout guy. Um, I have tried to walk and keep up with you at Disneyland. You're a very fast walker.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, those lines aren't going to wait for anybody. We got to get to them.
0: (laughs) I've mentioned on the show many times that I go to Disneyland. Tracy and I are coworkers. Our office is down in Southern California. Quite often, even though Tracy lives here in Utah, when we're down there together, uh, we go to Disneyland together, so he is my Disneyland traveling partner. So, um, but yeah, you are a fast walker, and you're definitely an athlete now. So, uh, you get through high school. Were you always really active throughout your teenage years?
1: I was. I was your. I was a very devout, active kid. I was not your typical teenager. I did not have mm. a lot of rebe- rebellion in me. Yeah, in my adolescence, my rebellion, however, awoke in my 20s. And that's oftentimes referred to as late adolescence. And I really stormed into a late adolescence. And it, I look back, I've, I've examined this a lot. I have a degree in psychology. I, I tend to be introspective in a lot of ways. Very much. And so I've gone over a lot of this looking at it both from a clinical side of things and looking just from a personal side of things. And those difficult times that I had growing up where I, I aspired very much to be accepted liked i really wanted somebody to sit with at lunch like that was that would have been amazing and it there weren't many days (laughs) i'm thinking about it's bringing up pain there weren't many days i had that 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 honed me to what i am now Hmm. it got it got to where um thanks to a couple of mentors of sorts, good friends, I had a couple of fantastic mission companions that pulled me out of that and showed me that you can craft what you want out of life if you go after it. So I learned to go after it. Um, But in my 20s, as part of the, it, it was, I look back at it as a rebellion of what I was. But rebellion kind of took a lot of me. And I became, um, it's not so much I became, I recognized the fighter side of me. Yeah. That a lot of times I had denied and repressed, but I, like many people, I have this kind of conflicted soul where half of me is very much a peacemaker. Like I very much want peace and and, uh, amongst relationships, conversations, things like that. On the other side of me, I want fights. I want to pick fights, I want to fight fights. And so there are those two angel and devil wrestling inside of me often. Well, in the 20s after having been, you know, neglected and bullied to some extent, that that fighter in me woke up and my adolescence kicked in. Uh and that that impacted things in ways that I hadn't anticipated and I look back on and they're still quite painful.
0: But that wasn't evident on your mission at all. No. You were you were the gung ho missionary. You came home gung ho. Yep. You know, maybe a little bit self-righteous like all of us. <laughs> yes, uh, very much that. But then but then suddenly a later rebellion. That's really interesting. Yeah. When did that start? Did that start when you were at BYU?
1: Yeah, it was it was while I was at BYU and it was uh It's always so good to have self-awareness, to be really aware of who right. you are and what you are. So you can so you can really build on your strengths, but you can also avoid your weaknesses and put up whatever kind of defenses or, uh, you know, um, constructive things that you can build up to protect against your weaknesses. Sure. I wasn't aware enough of myself. And I think a lot of people, the listener right now, might have the same sort of thing where there's this conflict within them and they often struggle with this. Um, At BYU, I got, I got to where I didn't understand that part of me, and that allowed me to slip in ways that I shouldn't have slipped. So at BYU, I began a, what, I, what I sometimes lightheartedly refer to as my dark ages. Um, the earth had the, hers, and unfortunately, I had mine, Yeah, uh, where I found myself no longer in the church.
0: Was that really gradual, or did one day did you did you decide, okay, I'm I'm done with this? No, it was gradual. It started with a question in Sunday school that
1: that I thought, huh, I've never really thought about that that way. And I don't want to talk about the question because um, I don't have a specific enough answer for it. I'd rather not, yeah, know, provide questions that don't have answers. Sure. But I had a question doctrinally, and it was a very fundamental philosophical question about the gospel, and. It was um, coincidentally, a friend of mine was teaching it. My friend is a brilliant guy, really smart intellectual guy. And I went up afterwards and I, you know, like, hey, what do you think of this? What's, what am I missing here? And his response was, yeah, it's funny. We don't know this. We don't know the answer to this, hmm. which I found to be an unacceptable answer, particularly at a fundamental Uh, Level of this was a question of the fundamentals of the gospel.
0: Yeah, you're at BYU too. I mean, yeah, all the answers should be there. They're all
1: there, and that's exactly what I said. So I did what Elder Uchtdorf says. You know, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. I didn't go into this and say, "Wait a second, I've got a question." By golly, the gospel's wrong. No, what I did was I said, "I've got a question," and obviously I don't know the answer, so let's go find the answer. So off I went to the bishop. Bishop didn't know. Off I went to the religion teacher. Religion teacher didn't know. So now I'm like, okay, wait, this is weird. Go to my dad. My dad, like most boys, they think their dad is the superhero. Right.
0: All the answers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My dad truly is a bizarrely smart guy. Like this is the kind of guy who thinks in calculus. He's like that kind of smart. He is truly rocket science kind of smart. So dad has to know the answer to this. He's had to examine this. Go to dad. Dad doesn't know. And suddenly I'm starting to see a pattern that's bothering me. Sadly, what's happening in my life at the same time is I'm taking paths and I'm making choices in my life that I shouldn't be. And I'm kind of, like, ignoring them, burying them. Like, I'm a good saint. I don't, you know, yeah. everybody makes mistakes, you know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I knew I was doing wrong, but I was, like, really lying to myself about this. In the, at the same time, I'm having this exploration. I'm studying the prophets' teachings I cannot, for the life of me, find an answer to this question. Hmm. And this question starts leading to other questions. So if you think about it, when you're dealing with a fundamental issue, there's everything is built on top of fundamentals. Yeah. So if the foundation isn't there or it's weak or crumbling, everything else you start examining is relevant or relative to that. Hmm. And before I know it, I'm in the place where I can't get sound answers from an intellectual level. Now, I've through my studies... I've studied philosophy, I've studied psychology, I've studied rhetoric, I've studied persuasion, I've done all these things, so I'm I'm well-crafted in logic, and I lean on it a little bit too much at the time, and suddenly I find myself listening to General Conference and saying, eh, he's wrong on that. Oh, he hasn't thought about this. Oh, look at that. Look at them teaching that. Oh, and suddenly I'm on a different side of the line that I should be on, and before long, I, I never got truly like proactively proselytizing anti, you know, like some people do. A lot of people, when yeah. they find challenge with their faith and they choose to leave the church, they go really anti. I was never that way. Like for whatever reason, thank goodness I didn't turn into that kind of jerk. I was just, hey, I don't believe that stuff. Quit pushing it on me. I'm going my own way. And in this journey, which I still look back on with, with a, an immense amount of shame and regret, it hurts when I think about it. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's one of those things when, you know, you don't truly... You don't truly understand the atonement until you're right there begging for its blessings. And, you know, I think about the uh, the pain that the Savior suffered for me for that. It's horrible. I have a hard time dealing with that. But I look back on it with a lot of shame. But, uh, you know, something interesting happened through that through that journey. And one of them was that in my questioning, trying to be intellectually honest and trying to find the source of truth in life, I went through a pretty comprehensive examination of the religions and philosophies that are out there in the world. Now, I don't consider myself a professor of theology or anything like that, but I, I went in pretty much a carte blanche approach into a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different religions. I never truly arrived at atheism, because in my intellectual honesty, I found that you had to make some of the most ridiculous, silly, (laughs) faith-based suppositions, and, and you have to accept things that are beyond preposterous in order to truly accept atheism. Interesting. So I found that from a logical standpoint, and a lot of times atheists want to totally protect themselves with logic and ultimately i find that logic betrays atheism so i found that i wasn't an atheist in fact during this time i was like bitterly angry at god there were times when i literally wanted to fight god like i was so angry at him
0: were you were you praying during this time or had you walked away from prayer
1: no i was beyond that so i i got to the point where i thought prayer was just you know it's a it's a self persuasion thing
0: was this while you were studying psychology
1: yeah, yeah, it was happening at the same time i this spanned the course of having finished my schooling and then going on into you know professional life uh so it wasn't all within that time um it was better part of a decade of my dark age I didn't
0: realize it was that long
1: yeah it was uh, a longer than it should have been yeah um but the uh what I found in this is that where I was before as a devoted Latter-day Saint, which is a perfectly good place to be and is the is the right place to stay and be. And we, we've had this conversation, you and I, before about, you know, if you could go back and do things over again in right. certain parts of your life. Mm. And that's a tough question. Like, I so badly want to scrub that from my past, and yet where I am today and what I'm capable of and what I see and I, what I experience is so much because I managed to pull myself out of that horrible morass that I was in.
0: I'm just going to just say you have, you have empathy on a level that most people don't have. You generally do like you read people in a very different way. And it's funny because we've, probably over the last many years, spent two, 300 hours sitting and just talking. <laughs> yeah. We always end up in cars together and we've driven down to Vegas together many times and whatever. Some of my favorite and, conversations. Yeah. We've, we get, we've gotten into some deep stuff, but I didn't realize the extent of this, but a lot of it makes sense. And so, yeah, we've had these discussions about, I wish I could go back and get rid of this. I don't wish that for you. I hate that you went through it, but I don't wish that for you because you would not at all, be you and who you are. I'm I'm learning some gospel things just hearing you talk about knowing you and now knowing and understanding the level of this, how much that prepared you for what you needed to know to do what you do now in your life.
1: Yeah, he, it, it, really, it really is that way. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, well, tell us
0: your calling right now.
1: So right now I am both ward mission leader and executive secretary. Yeah. So... How long
0: have you been Ward Mission Leader? Uh, I've been doing that for about four years, I think. Yeah. So you were the the artist previously known as Gospel Essentials Class. (laughs) And we used to sit and talk about this a lot. You would reach people in your Gospel Essentials Class, people who were truly struggling with the gospel. You were put there because you, when they would say, I don't believe this or I don't understand this, I think there are a lot of members of the church who would say, tough, get over it. Whatever, I don't get why you don't get it. Just get with the program. I think you were prepared with a level of empathy to be able to reach people in a way that others can't. Because you sat alone at a table and felt alone, and because you had doubts, and because you had questions, and because you were mad at God, the church needs all these people, right? I mean, the church needs you to be you from those experiences. They don't need another person who didn't go through that. Because there are people out there who can't connect with the guy who's just taken everything as it comes.
1: Yeah, it's true the the church needs all that. The church really, <clears throat> oftentimes I, I shy away of talking about the Dark Ages, a little embarrassed about it, you know, Don't I certainly don't want to glorify it. But the the fact is that... It's oftentimes trite to say it, but it's the it's a very essential truth is that we all are sinners and that we go through our own spans, the, just, just the duration changes. We all have our many dark ages. And I still have many dark ages, of course, after this.
0: Sometimes um, they're a week. I mean, sometimes it's three days. Yeah. There are days where just praying feels like you're moving mountains.
1: Yeah. and And so it's not about the fact that I spent eight years living this way it's a it's about that i got through it with the help of the atonement and gosh the help of so many loving friends and family and my dear wife but everybody in the church is going to have struggles at some level i mean president nelson just talked in general conference about how everybody needs to repent Mm -hmm. and you know he's including himself in that right our prophet is including himself in that so yeah, there's people that are out there that are challenged. There's people that are out there that struggle with faith. There are people that are there that are barely coming to church. There are people that just don't come to church at all. And in that, you know, in that Gospel Essentials class, what a blessing it was for me. Um, but I, I'm able to use a lot of those experiences for them. Like you said, I had people who would challenge things in class, and what was really cool about it is a lot of times I was really led by the spirit so much having to do with the spirit and that coming in and giving you the intelligence distilling upon you is such an important thing when you're, when you're instructing and trying to give good sound counsel to other people is, is boy, it's so, so needed to have revelation as you're doing it. But there was a lot of education that I had information that I already explored, learned, established, and of course positions. And like you're saying, empathy I'd felt all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I'd felt the same thing that she's feeling right there. And here I have this person who is, boy, that takes guts to speak up in front of a group of Latter-day Saints and say, hey, I kind of disagree with that. And then to be able to explore that in a really positive way, my gosh, what such a blessing it was. I miss that class a lot.
0: It also took trust in you. I mean, it took knowing that you were, as the instructor, were not just going to say, That's dumb. Please sit down. You know, because again, I think you're prepared through this. I, uh, but this eight years goes on. How do you get out of it?
1: The eight years goes on and so do my poor choices. My poor choices lead me to a lack of agency that I turned to a 12 step program. To get away from. And (laughs) boy, you want a humbling experience. Find yourself walking into one of those. But man, praise be to the Lord, that turned me around. There's a fascinating thing in the 12 steps the third step. Is that you turn your life over to God? (laughs) And here I was, desperately wanting a fist fight with God. And now all of a sudden, I have to hand it over to Him. I spent all those years having people tell me, Trace, you just need faith. You just need faith. And here I am, a guy who is driven by this intellectual pursuit. And to me, that faith was a crutch. You're weak. You're soft. Don't give me that faith baloney. I don't want to hear it. And yet, the great irony of that experience was that all that time, this first principle of the gospel is the key. That really is the point. It's not, you know, it's not like, like I thought it was, and I think so many critics of Christ's gospel would say that faith is like the the speckle that you put on your walls that have holes in them that you can't patch any other way, and so you slap on this cheap commodity and just try to hide the problem. <laughs> and I really saw it that way, and the irony of it that. It really is so important to personally get to, and that's where I got to through this transitional point towards the end of that period of my life, was that faith is the concrete that makes up the entire foundation of the structure. And yes, you can use it as spackle, too. Like, it's a good thing to have faith ready when there's a hole there that you don't, quick, don't have sheetrock for right off. But that doesn't mean that it's not what you are standing on, what the entire structure is built Mm. on. It's the reason it's the number one in those first four principles and ordinances. Faith is everything. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It really is what builds everything. And through that experience, I learned that in a way that I had never learned it before. It is liberating to have faith. And it is intellectually empowering to have faith because without it, I don't care what people say, you get blinded quick. Particularly if you're trusting in the arm of of flesh, meaning your own brain, you get blinded quick when you're not relying on faith.
0: I think faith is something we talk about and yet we don't talk about enough.
1: The Savior very much appreciates and honors the little efforts that are made in in the face of Great vulnerability, fear, unknown. He talks about the widow's might. Like he compares, look, they brought all their money, but that was like, they gave in hundreds, but she gave everything. Yeah, And even though it was by comparison, nothing. I think the comment, the statement of faith, where you really don't know, but you're coming that far. I'm gonna give you my claim of faith is the the spiritual equivalent or the action equivalent of that woman giving... All that she had, even though by comparison to what the contributions were of the others, someone saying, I know, and standing there and thinking that they have something bold, while while honorable and good to do that, the person that is struggling, but is at least willing to say, hey, I at least have desire to know. Huge. And I guarantee you, I don't speak for the Savior, but knowing who he is, I guarantee you, he honors that every bit as much.
0: I've never thought of the widow's mite in that term.
1: I haven't either. I've always thought the
0: widow's might as what we contribute, as something physical given. But it's right. You're right with faith. I mean, you take the person who has had amazing spiritual experiences their entire life, hasn't maybe had some of the challenges, who can say, I know, versus the person who's barely holding on by their fingernails, who says, I have faith. That's the widow's might, right? Yeah. And how
1: how many of us? are experiencing that right now. Mm. How many people that are listening to this right now are experiencing that right now, are feeling inadequate because they don't know yeah. as much as the guy next to them or they don't feel like they're progressed far enough in their spirituality and they're struggling with that. If you're listening and that's you, cling to the fact that you have the desire. Again, President Nelson talked about that's a go- that's an okay place to be. Take that and build from it. know. Yeah. It's okay to be along the path. We're all along the path.
0: Yeah. I think that too often we walk through, going back to Alma 32, we walk through and admire other people's trees when we see our own seedlings. Right. it's not a race. It's not a comparison. The seedling is beautiful. You know, when you see a seedling trying and struggling to grow, that's a beautiful thing. You know, we should be happy with our seedlings and not so worried about other people's trees. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So you come out of this. Did your family know that you were going through all this? Did you ever talk to your parents about it?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. They were they were right there alongside. I I uh I came out, as it were. Um I don't know what it was. That I mean, really
0: is a good description of it. I mean, you know, there's so much pressure growing up in the church that you kind of do come out, hey, I'm struggling or whatever. Yeah. Or I, I've walked away.
1: It took me some—I don't know—six months, something like that—of yeah. this regress to get to where I finally said, "Hey, here's the thing." And all of my family, you know, they, their comments were basically, "Trace, we know." I mean, it was not—it was not a secret. I had become fairly bitter. I'd come become fairly negative, dark. When you lose the light of Christ, people see it, and I had definitely lost yeah. the light of Christ. So they very patiently. Dealt with me. Mm. They supported me. They, you know, my sweet mom <laughs> tried and tried and tried. Sent me article after article, bought me books. She knew I liked Neil A. Maxwell. Still do. What a fantastic apostle. What a fantastic mind. Yeah. He's very much an intellectual and he's, he's, a, uh, he's a, a master of linguistics, which is something that I gravitate towards. So I always appreciated his presentation, and I appreciated his level of examination of the topics. And so she oftentimes sent Neil A. Maxwell to me, Uh, but they all the way along. And it was about halfway through those years is when I was blessed to meet my wife, and we were married. And she patiently, thank goodness, stuck with me. And help me along,
0: because yeah, you were in the middle of your struggle when you met your wife. Yeah, yeah, and she saw in you. She saw it all.
1: Yeah, I was. I was very clear to most people what and who I was.
0: No, I mean she saw the good. I'm saying she oh. saw. She saw the potential in you. I'm a good salesman. She saw what you could become. You are a good <laughs> salesman. You're a good salesman, also. No, so, I. Uh,
1: it, my wife. I believe many of us those are angels that are sent to us yeah. and she's definitely an angel that was sent to me.
0: How old were you when you got married?
1: 30. Yeah. I didn't want to go on the record with that <laughs> as a Latter-day Saint.
0: <laughs> but it's, it's so inspiring. I think a lot of our listeners as well as I have older children who are struggling with things of the church, you know, to hear your story. I mean, I'm sure that there were, there were times where your mom was on her knees just trying to figure out how she's going to live the rest of her life with her son going through this. Yeah, and yet the atonement steps in, and there you are. So you come back from all of this, you get married. You tell us uh, about what you studied. You talked about psychology. What else did you study in college?
1: So I also studied on the creative side of things. I studied illustration, graphic design, um, and so I've, I'll, I've. That's another one where I've always spent my life one foot. In the left brain, one foot in the right brain.
0: Probably I'm going to say more so than anyone I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, Ken Craig, who was a guest on the show before with his wife, Katie, we've talked about you and we've talked about this, how I've never met anybody so left brain and so right brain. Like I could put your right brain against anybody else's light right brain. And your left brain against anybody else's <laughs> left. Usually, you're, you are mentally ambidextrous. Um, that's, a, that's a great way uh, to <laughs> Because it really is. I mean, you can go toe-to-toe on psychology and then creatively, just you're brilliant in that regard. Well, thanks. So this takes you into advertising. You guys moved down to Vegas for a while, you and your wife. Yeah, we actually, we lived in Utah,
1: moved to L.A.
0: Oh, that's right. You were in a L.A. Years. first.
1: I uh, had the blessing of going and looking after... Uh, my grandfather, for the last year of his life, fantastic experience. And then we eventually ended up in Las Vegas. And that was all due to uh, work, you know,
0: changes in the career. Yeah. And you ran an, an ad agency
1: Yep, in Las Vegas. So much of my career was spent self-employed doing a creative agency. So we mm-hmm. did, um, for a time, we were the fastest growing agency in Vegas. Like, we were really booming for a while there. Super exciting, professionally rewarding, Uh eternally completely empty, but it, it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoy marketing. Marketing is the process of getting somebody to realize that there's a good thing waiting for them. Yeah. You know, in my eyes. I don't market garbage. I, I'm not the kind that will, you know, prostitute myself out to whatever. Right. I really look for things Just that have, you, you know, some, some inherent value to them yeah. and find cool ways of Getting messaging out, create creativity is a lot of fun.
0: So you're running this agency in Las Vegas. Bottom falls out of the whole economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vegas is one of the hardest hits, hardest hit parts of the country. What brought you to Utah from Vegas?
1: What brought me to Utah from Vegas was a guy named Sean Rapier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, going back to Ken Craig, Ken introduced us. Oh, that's uh, right. It was Ken first. Yeah, I, we needed a uh, we needed a. Vice President of Marketing at the company I was with, and I reached out to Ken to see if he knew anyone. He said, I got your guy. I got him, and I saw your resume, and I instantly knew it was you. That was it. I was ready to hire you just from your resume, because it was the best resume I'd ever seen. So you move your family out to Utah, and here you are. When did Latter-day Soldiers start, and how?
1: Latter-day Soldiers began, geez, it's been five or six years ago, something like that. I had I had a cousin, super smart guy, Breton, Props to you, really smart, had a lot of vision on messaging. We worked together on a political blog, still yeah. do. Yeah. Um and in that we realized that there's a, politics is a is a process of men. And there's only so far that politics has value in this journey that we all know we're, that we're on. And we thought, you know, the real thing that we should be putting our minds to is speaking truth. Now, he shares a lot of the same nature as I do of he's got a real fighter in him. Um, And right now we have four people that that participate in Latter-day Soldiers, and all of us are the same way. We're all trying to do our best of being, you know, peacemakers, but also wanting to pick a fight. And I say pick a fight. Latter-day Soldiers was born out of the concept that Elder Rasband talked about in this last conference, Mm. and he said, there's a very plain and simple sentence that he used in his talk, and that was, we are at war with Satan Mm. for the souls of men. And there's so much in that simple short sentence. We, that means all of us that are listening to him, all of us really on earth, even those that don't know it are at war what a powerful word for him to say war he didn't say struggle he didn't say fight he didn't, he said war and you think of the implications of war and we are at war with satan for the souls of men it's very much having to do with the genesis and the continuation of latter day soldiers is this concept that elder rasband talked about the souls of men so Elder Oaks talk about the squirrel and the dog, about everybody's <laughs> yeah. watching this thing happen, and they could have warned that squirrel at any point. Well, Latter-day soldiers, we wanted to warn the squirrel, but we also want to give weapons that you can use in this war. And one of those, you know, you think about fighting with Satan. We, of course, aren't, this isn't hand-to-hand combat. We're not using bullets and bombs. It's not right. like that. The, the weapons that are being used are thoughts, choices, actions. Now, I can't go out and do things for people, so I can't do anything about actions. Choices, I can't make the choice for you or anybody else. I can only make choices for me. But I can put thoughts out there. I can give information that can help create thoughts that lead to better choices, that either prevent actions or lead to more positive actions. And so that's what Latter-day Soldiers is all about. And we don't... You know, there's a reason why it's Latter-day soldiers, and that it's not Latter-day angels or something like that, which of course would be positive and wonderful too.
0: And there are plenty of those out there. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. they're
1: there. Many of them have been interviewed by you already. Right, right. We wanted to take the approach that that we all embrace, we all as part of this group, that it's time to take the fight to him. And if nothing else, it's time to at least train people in proper warfare.
0: Yeah. This it, is a war. Yeah, it's a war. And we're
1: not doing this alone. Obviously the prophets and the apostles, they're the ones that are really carrying this. Your ministering brothers and sisters, your bishop, your Sunday school teacher, they're all part of this. We have no exclusive anything about this. But one thing that we shoot for is to be direct on a lot of things. And so if you if you read what we produce, it's not often terribly mainstream. I mean, it's it's got mainstream doctrine in it, but we look at it from a slightly different perspective. We want to flank Satan. There's a lot of us coming frontal, you know, coming from behind. We flank. We want to sneak in and do the uh, special ops approach to him.
0: <laughs> I so, love it.
1: So a lot of times we look at things from a little different perspective or we'll attack misconceptions, we'll attack faulty conclusions, we'll attack arguments that are being made that are persuading people that are getting them to lose this war, that are leading them into their own dark ages. And so we attack a lot of those very direct. So while I don't, like I have zero interest in ever being famous, I have zero interest in my blog being the biggest blog in the world or whatever. What I have interest in is people benefiting from what I think is inspiration coming to me, how can I share that with others?
0: I love that it's Latter Day Soldiers. I mean, I read it all the time. When you guys put stuff out, uh, you had a, you had a, a great article when the word Mormon was going to not be focused on as much.
1: That was a fun one.
0: Which you called it. Why I'm no longer a Mormon. How many how many views did that get?
1: I I don't remember the quantity, but it it got it had a lot of it got engagement. shared
0: all over the place. Yeah. People are sharing it left and right.
1: You know, there's, there's a uh, part of creating content online that is um, something you have to embrace at the same time of hating it. And that is you have to get people to click to the content. I mean, unless you have some kind of like meme level soundbite thing that you can just drop to where they can absorb it without clicking anything. If you're doing something that's long form, like an article, you got to get them in there. Otherwise they never get the information. Yeah. So your title becomes everything. And so a lot of times as the marketer that I am, I look at how to flank their brain. You know, there's so much noise. We just naturally as human beings put up all kinds of defenses to try to filter out the stimuli Mm -hmm. that we are experiencing. Your brain does this as survival. And so in order to get that content in, you've got to get the brain to say, oh, wait a second, I don't have this. I need to look into this and so that was one of those where I knew that saying that why I'm no longer a Mormon was both going to provoke the uh, the Latter Day Saints be like wait what's going on here or those who were possibly on the other side it was a bit of a troll in that way um,
0: to go oh here's someone who left yeah here's one of oh, us right on
1: and then they dive in there and all of a sudden it's talking about following the prophet yeah to, the reason to I'm the no letter. longer
0: a Mormon is because the prophet told me not to call myself that exactly anymore, which is just great you guys do. Also very stirring memes. Uh, I I hate to even use the word meme with it. I, internet, I don't know what else to call it. Internet art. I don't know another word for it, but you take a lot of art. You're a graphic designer. Mm-hmm. Are, is the rest of the team, are they graphic designers as well?
1: Uh, my cousin has some skills. The, uh, the other two do their best.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you put up some really stirring, strong, bold. I would say that there are a lot of blogs that are... Um, very loving and delicate and I would say that if the blogosphere, the, the blogger knackle as they call it, if it were a scripture, you're Captain Moroni. Yeah. You're you're saying, I mean it's the let's lead the charge and let's go to battle.
1: Yeah, you know they we've talked about this in the past too. That, that's a good way to of to look at it. Oftentimes I don't think of Captain Moroni, but he's one of the examples that I reference. I oftentimes picture myself as Tiancum. Mm. Tiancom is one of those understated
0: yeah, underrated.
1: characters in the Book of Mormon. And I say character just in the same sense that you would say like that guy's right, a real right. character, obviously. This was an individual who led a miraculously important and impactful life. Tiancom, not not really heralded in the Book of Mormon. There's some reference to him, but the to see what he did was incredible. And Tiancum ties to the Savior in a way that a lot of people don't understand. So Tiancom is this guy who is this amazing military leader who sneaks into the Lamanite camp several times and assassinates their leaders personally and escapes. Except mm-hmm. for the last time, when he didn't quite kill the guy, he yells out, they realize right. he's there, they come and get him, and unfortunately, Tiancom loses his life that way. But to think about that Tiancom was not doing what many of many people both in Christianity in Christendom I should say including the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints think of the savior as this you know this marshmallow type character yeah. that it's it's all happy love fluffy clouds and it's like there's a nature there's a part of the lord's nature that is that way For but sure. there's another part of him that is not that way well looking at tiankem tiankem had to know the Lamanite way. Like, you just don't sneak in. They don't have the leaders just sitting out on the outskirts of the camp. Those leaders are going to be right in the center. I guarantee you that camp is fortified, well-guarded, all these sorts of things. And Tiancom had to know how to get in there. He had to know their ways, their culture, their language, how to dress, Mm. all these sorts of things. Tiancom was a super smart, but super prepared warrior. And he got in there and got the business done. Amazing, amazing guy. That is great. So... The Savior, when you think about it. So there's nothing wrong with being a soldier. Oftentimes, I've spent my life examining the statement, turn the other cheek, and how to apply that in life, knowing that Tianqem wasn't off the reservation. Tianqem was taking command from a guy who's led by the Lord. And so the Lord is saying, go and fight those Lamanites. And in, in essence, he's saying, in a larger scale, the same thing he said to Nephi, to Laban. Yeah. It's better that these Lamanites die,
0: which is how the Book of Mormon opens. Uh, yeah, we're a couple chapters in, and somebody's being ordered to kill someone. Yeah, yeah,
1: it is. It's a uh, sometimes a bitter, but absolutely vital and um, and truthful part of what the gospel is. If you think about the Savior, the Savior talked about turning the other cheek, and there's some there's some really fascinating ways of looking at that. Maybe we'll get into it. Maybe we won't. But he also says. This is the guy that we call the Prince of Peace, says in his own words, I come as a sword, dividing mother from daughter. Like, he identifies the fact that he is going to be so divisive and that he will be that stumbling block that he will drive families apart. Now, anybody that would listen to that as a singular soundbite would probably like, I don't understand. How do you believe in this character who's trying to destroy families? But that's not the point. Mm. The Savior knows that there's feel-good parts of the gospel, and there's realities of the gospel that sometimes are a little bit more difficult to chew on and digest. And one of those is that you stand up for what is right. That's what Tiankin was doing. That's what Captain Moroni was doing. That's what Nephi, very reluctantly, by the way, killing Laban, he did not want to do that, followed the Lord for the purposes of righteousness. Latter-day soldiers, we see the exact same way. While we're not out killing Lamanites, and we're not sure, you know, of course, we're not doing anything like that, and we certainly don't um, encourage anything of the sort. We are, you know, you talk about the the memes, the graphics that we create when talking about trying to create weapons for people to use in yeah. the gospel against Satan. That's the point. It's against Satan. You think of a spear, a bullet, these, a, a dagger. They have these sharp points. They're there for piercing. And so when we look at it, we want something that pierces, not in a negative way, yeah, in an effective way.
0: And I think it's important to note, our listeners should definitely go check out Latter-day Soldiers. It's not extreme. You're just talking about tactic. yeah. It's not extreme. It doesn't, I mean, there's nothing, it is very much in line with the gospel. It just takes that stronger justice side of things. I love the blog, I highly recommend to our listeners that you go check out. They can find it at latterdaysoldiers.com. Yep. You can also look it up on Facebook. You guys are very good at sharing everything on Facebook, and it's just awesome. Uh, go check it out. We're about at that time. I would... I'd say I'd love to sit and talk to you much longer, but I'm going to sit and talk to you much longer <laughs> Well, this has many, been many times over.
1: It's always great to have conversations with yeah,
0: you. Yeah. I mean, usually, you know, my guests, they leave and, you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks, we'll spend another couple of hours in a car together. But uh, we are going to finish by asking you the same question we ask every one of our guests, which is Tracy Smith. What does being a member of the church mean to you?
1: Uh, to me, it always comes down to joy and freedom. That's what it is. And obviously, uh, you look from the psychological psychological perspective of projection. You put yourself on your experience a lot, and that. But those are things that I savor. The gospel brings us joy, like we're taught in Second Nephi. It's about having joy, and I want joy. And I've seen both worlds. I've seen the dark ages, and I've seen the enlightenment. And the enlightenment is so much more towards joy than those dark paths have the the mists of darkness have nothing for you. This great and spacious building has nothing for you. It's all on the straight and narrow and holding to the rod. And by doing that, that's a thing. Holding to that rod is where the freedom is. You think you don't have choice doing that? Baloney. You have more choice doing that than you could ever have, wandering off and getting lost in the darkness or going to that building that has no foundation where all those fakes are looking down at others and making fun of them. There's no choice in that. You get rounded up. The gospel, being a Latter-day Saint, It's all about joy and freedom.
0: He is a husband, a father, a marketer, a blogger, a Latter-day soldier, and gratefully for me, he is my friend, Tracy Smith. Thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it.
1: Thrilled to be here. Thank you, Sean.
0: And my special thanks to my dear friend, Tracy Smith. Tracy is truly one of the best human beings I know. Also one of the smartest guys. I just am so grateful for my association with him and uh, so thankful that he would take the time to come sit down with me here. This week in my latter day life, uh, you know, I mentioned before I have two teenage sons who still live at home. I have seven children total. But my teenagers, it's kind of funny to watch, because every once in a while, they'll get really upset, as teenagers do, I guess as we all do, about things that just aren't that important. And earlier this week, my son got really upset and concerned about something that I just thought, why is this such a big deal to you? This is so unimportant. It was over something that I just thought, you, you cannot possibly actually be upset about this. This was especially surprising to me at the time because there was something major going on that everyone should be upset about, and that is that the season ended for the Lakers. They didn't make the playoffs this year. Uh, Magic Johnson stepped down from the head office unexpectedly, and then they let go of their coach, uh, Luke Walton. And this is a disaster. And maybe some of these were good moves, but I almost didn't sleep the other night. I have had so much stress and trauma in my life the last few years because of the Lakers. And and how could my son be upset about something so insignificant when this is what was going on with the greatest basketball team that has ever played? And I know that a lot of you are probably laughing right now because the Los Angeles Lakers mean nothing to you. Sadly, some of you, and you should repent for this, are probably secretly happy that the Lakers are really struggling right now. And I'm sure a lot of you had no idea, because it's just not a big deal to you. Maybe you don't follow sports at all. But for me, the Lakers take up a great part of my emotion, a great part of my mind. They always have, and they just are really important to me. And one thing that I'm grateful for is that while sometimes I don't get what maybe my sons or my wife or my friends, I don't understand why something impacts them. And certainly my family doesn't understand uh, why the Lakers impact me so much. One thing I'm grateful for is in conference, there was a lot of talk about how God knows us and how he's waiting for us. And if it's important to us, then it's important to him. And I know that I can kneel down anytime and I can pray about anything and I can ask for help and I will receive that help. Maybe it's not the way I want it. Maybe, uh, and I don't pray for championships again for the Lakers. Uh, And I really, I'm kind of teasing. I don't really uh, pray about the Lakers, but I could, and I can pray about anything weighing heavily on my mind, and Heavenly Father's going to be there for me, and I'm just so grateful for that. I also think it's a great example and a challenge to each of us to be more like Him in that way, rather than rolling our eyes and blowing people off really trying to mourn with those who mourn and to really look around the world. And and if something's important to someone we love, we should make it important to us. And I was just grateful for those messages in conference, and it's helped me this past week to try to put myself in my children's shoes, in my friend's shoes, my wife's, all these other people, to try to understand them better the way that Heavenly Father sees us all. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We so appreciate it. If you know someone who would enjoy the show, we'd ask that you please share it with them. Share it through uh, social media. We can be found on Facebook and on Instagram and Twitter as well. If you just search for Latter-day Lives, we will be there. And thank you again for all the messages that keep coming in. They mean the world to us. And especially lately, we've had some great suggestions for guests. We are reaching out to those people and bringing on new guests all the time. We really appreciate it. And so until next week, when we meet again, please remember, as always, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it. Just not of it. Thanks for listening.